0: podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world today is Wednesday, February 15th. I want to begin today's show with an apology to all of you listeners for the lack of episodes on this feed over the past week. Now, it's not because we've been taking a vacation here at Cracked Rackets. We turned our attention over the past few days to the Division I Women's National Indoor Championships in Seattle was such a privilege for our Cracked. Rackets team to be able to broadcast all of the action throughout the course of the weekend. Of course, a massive congratulations to the University of North Carolina. They become the first women's program to win four consecutive indoor titles. It's their seventh championship at that indoor event in the last 11 years. Of course, we recapped their run to the title over on our Great Shot podcast feed. I actually sat down with UNC Women's Tennis Head Coach Brian Kalbus today to reflect on on what his program has accomplished if you want to hear that conversation, hop on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, or you can find it on our website, crackedrackets.com. That said, obviously, with our attention turned to the college tennis world, this podcast unfortunately has suffered, and I apologize for that fact, as it has been a fascinating past week on the ATP and WTA Tour. So many takeaways from last week's five tour-level events in Abu Dhabi, Dallas, Linz, Montpellier, Cordoba. I want to cover all of them on today's show. For all of you listeners, of course, I also want to preview the week ahead. And so to try and make up for lost time, we're making today a two-mini-break podcast Wednesday. On part number two of this show, I am joined by David Kane to forecast the week ahead. Again, a jam-packed draw on the women's side in Doha. Three more tour-level events on the men's side as well. It's going to be, again, a two-mini-break Wednesday. David Kane, joining me for the forecast ahead here on this show. I'm going to to offer my thoughts on the week that was, and again, so many different things for us to dive into. I think the most relevant in the immediate future in the professional tennis world is the run of Belinda Bencic in Abu Dhabi, so that's where I'll start today's show as she is off to just a rollicking 14-2 and start to her 2023 season, fights off three match points in the final against Samsonova on her way to the title. I'll talk about how she got there, the continued improvements I have been alluding to on this show for many many months now and of course offered the other thoughts on all the action that unfolded there of course maybe the biggest storyline big picture I know main or maybe not mainstream but within the tennis twitter audience itself was the run of Louie Bing in Dallas Louie Bing now winning his first tour level title was just exceptional on his way to that final and ultimately to the winner's circle in Dallas and look Long-time listeners of the show know we've been on the Wu-I-Bing bandwagon for a while here. I joke around. He's yet to be eliminated from the greatest of all time discussion. The sample size we've seen of wu bing results over the past year, it's breathtaking, and it felt like this first tour-level title was inevitable in his career. He's healthy and just firing on all cylinders, and to see his personality shine through in Dallas as well. Again, we got a lot to get to from that Dallas event, not just him, but Isner making the final, J.J. Wolf solidifying his place in the ATP top 50, plenty to discuss relating to that event. And then again, three others, Yannick Sinner wins his seventh ATP tour level title of his career. That's an undercard result with how Fascinating, jam-packed, interesting. The week behind was, I want to talk about he versus Cressy. Cressy knocking out Runa. A huge week for the former UCLA All-American. And then in Lynn, Sakari comes short, but Potapova continues to thrive. She gets the title there. You have Cordoba as well. Sebi Baez stops his slump. He gets back to the winner's circle, rights the ship back on the red clay Lots of takes to share on today's show, so that's what I plan on doing, just me steering the ship. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point, remember, for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Just go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off all sale items, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 plus a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's look at the week behind, and I'm not going to dive into too many specific matches, breakdown break points here, or swing shots there. I do want to talk big picture about what Belinda Bencic's Abu Dhabi title means for her immediate future. You look for Belinda Bencic now over the course of this 2023 season, as I've alluded to. She's now 14-2 and two overall on the year. She withdraws from the Doha quarterfinals this week after wins over Tomova and then the three-set Thriller over Azarenka yesterday. And... Look, 16 matches through six weeks of the season. Her two losses on court came to the top two players in the world, Igor Sviantek and Arena Sabalenka. And you just look for Bencic, who she's beaten, how she's beaten them. Wins over Garcia, Kasikina, Kudermatova, Samsonova, Haddad Maya, Azarenka, Kostjuk, Rogers. That's a ridiculous nine victories to rack up. And we're only six weeks into this season. And I think the biggest note for me, as I look for Belinda Bencic over the course of her last 52 weeks, she has won 51 total matches. You look for Belinda Bencic, those 51 match victories for her in a 52 week stretch, that would be the single most for her in any stretch of her career. And it's indicative of the fact that she's clearly playing the best tennis that she has ever played. You look for Belinda Bencic here this season. She's holding serve 82.2% of the time. Just for reference for mini break listeners, if you're holding over 80%, you're elite of the elite. Only one player in the WTA top 50, Caroline Garcia, is holding more than 80% of the time over the course of the past 52 weeks, and so again... It's only six weeks, but right now, Benchich is playing elite first strike tennis. She's also making more returns than she has ever made in her career. And you look for Belinda Benchich, who's breaking serve 35.6% of the time, would be the second best number of her career to start this season. That's a top 25 number on the WTA Tour. And, you know, combine top 25 returning with top two serving, that's the construct of an elite player. On the WTA Tour, and that's what Belinda Bencic has been. Go watch the match points. This is the only one I'm gonna dive into because Ludmilla Samsonova blitzed Belinda Bencic in the first set of their final match. Samsonova comes out just rocking the serve, rocking the forehand, races off to a 6-1 lead. Bencic flailing from corner to corner, you know, pushed behind the baseline, which is never where she wants to be, overwhelmed by the pace, the aggressiveness of Samsonova. And then Bencic started swinging freely. And then she started taking the ball on the short hop. She started taking the ball and redirecting things, using Samsonova's topspin as a crutch to keep her ball inside the baseline and just swinging early on the rise. She timed things beautifully. And, you know, even then, Samsonova was still hitting the first strike so well. And you look for Ludmilla Samsonova gets it to a breaker. She has three championship points. You know, first one Bencic fights off, good first serve, good backhand. Second one, Samsonova serves big into the body of Bencic, and this is indicative of the improved return to be combined with the elite serving. She's always flashed, but body backhand return. Bencic drills it two feet inside the baseline. It's a shot with depth, with pace, and it throws Samsonova off rhythm, and immediately Bencic is able to regain, not not maybe control, but at least neutrality within the confines of the point. And ultimately, Benchich drives Grind Samsonova down, who misses a forehand in the net. That's match point number two fought off. Again, match point number three, same deal. It's a long physical rally with Benchich taking the ball early on the rise, slowly but surely driving the ball through the court, ultimately drawing a Samsonova error, who played a little tentatively, no doubt, on the match points. But it's not as though Benchich was lacking pace on those match points either. And, you know, again, ultimately, Benchich takes the set. She brings that aggression into set number three, Belinda Bencic, a three-set winner. And look, that first set against Samsonova, where she just was not ready for Samsonova's pace or action of the ball, that's the only set she dropped on her way to the title. Two and three over Haddad Maya. She, you know, Hadad Maya hits that heavy, loopy ball, but doesn't have the most depth. And I thought those Dubai, excuse me, Abu Dhabi courts were particularly gritty and high-bouncing. And Bencic was there to take the ball early on the rise. Regardless of the speed of the court, she was more than capable of hitting through them. She hit through haddad Maya. She outplus one Rogers, withstood the totality of things Kostjuk threw at her, and then again was able to survive the pace of Samsonova as well. And you look for Belinda Bencic now. I, I mean, do I have to say it again? You look for her over the course of her last 52 weeks, 51-17. and She's won 75% of her matches over a 52-week stretch. You look overall right now on the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. That's 75% win percentage on the WTA Tour. It ranks second behind Iga Schviantek. Bilina Bencic is second behind Iga Schviantek in win percentage over the last 52 weeks on the WTA Tour. She's fourth in wins behind Svantec, Haddad, Maya, and Garcia, she makes the second week of the Australian Open after not making any second weeks at the majors last season, and now she follows it up, not only with the title in Abu Dhabi, but again, a really good win this week over Azarenka as well before she's forced to retire with fatigue. Belinda Bencic is just unequivocally a top 10 player right now. When you look at the tennis abstract ELO ratings, she's third in overall ELO. They have Iga, they have Sabalenka, then they have Bencic. I would put a third. I would then have probably Pagula fourth just out of respect. Benchich, though, to me, I mean, she's probably the fifth best player in the world right now. Her ceiling, her floor that high. Goff is right in that conversation, obviously, as well. But yeah, like that feels about right. That's the level Belinda Benchich has been playing at. And you look at the live rankings right now, Belinda Bencic with her recent run of success. She's currently sitting number nine for the 25-year-old, five off her career high of world number four. Didn't, again... More winning over her last 52 weeks than any 52 week stretch of her career. Makes sense. 25 years old, hitting her peak. That peak, very, very impressive. I do, though, want to give a tip of the cap to Ludmilla Samsonova, who played top three tennis, maybe even number one level tennis, like the elite Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club tennis in that first set, blitzing Benchich off the court. She got really good wins over Krzykova, Kudermatova, Jung Chin Wen throughout the course of the week. She, was, she wasn't she was broken against Kudermatova. was broken just twice, each in the second set against Jung Chin Wen, but gets the one break of serve she needs in the first and the third to close the mountain. was so good protecting serve in that in, in her match against Benchic. Bencic as well. I mean, ultimately was, what, broken just three total times in that Bencic match. You know, Ludmilla Samson over right now. She sits third. Excuse me, second. She actually bumped up above Urabaka. She's at 79.2% hold percentage trailing just Caroline Garcia amongst top 50 players. She's another one. An heir apparent. Her junction when... Naskova. Those are those are the players we're scouting right now at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. And again, you look for Ludmilla Samsonova, who's now made finals of four different events since August 1st of last year. She wins titles in Washington, in Cleveland, in Tokyo. Now follows things up with the final here in Abu Dhabi. Was fairly solid. I mean, second round Australian Open, I guess a little disappointing, but she loses to a very much in form right now player in Donna Vekic. You look for Ludmilla Samsonova right now in the live WTA rankings. She's sitting at a career high of 13. That's where the 24-year-old should be. You know, you look right now at the tennis abstract, ELO ratings, Lulamila Samsonova, overall ELO ratings, she's sitting at 12. Yeah, she's a top 15 player. And with those weapons, on the right day, she can hit anyone off the court. Now she's got to learn to sustain it a little bit longer and still working on plan B, plan C, a slower, grittier hard court like Abu Dhabi gave her a little bit more time to get into her ground strokes. It's, you know, again, she's still responding to Players who can match her pace. If you don't have a weapon to throw her off the spot, she's just beating you at this point of her career. Still adapting to facing elite power, but every player is still adapting to playing facing with elite power. And there are no questions anymore. Samsonova has the pace to keep pace, if not exceed any opponent that she faces. Good run for Samsonova to the final. Good runs for Hadad Maya and Jung Chin-Wen as well. Again, Jung wen is now playing her first full season of tour-level tennis here this year. You look for Jung wen in reaching the semifinals in Abu Dhabi. She's only reached the semifinals in her career at three tour-level events. Melbourne won last year, Tokyo end of last season, now Abu Dhabi here this year. Three tour-level semifinals for a player who's 20 years old and already up to number 24 in the rankings. It just speaks to how much success she's had at the Slams early in rounds one and two, and just again getting those big chunks of points plus some supplemental success like she has had in the Abu Dhabis, Tokyos, etc. until you build yourself into a top 25 player. And it's all upside for her because, again, this is her first year of a full calendar of tour level events. So good run for her. Good run for Haddad Maya, who's sitting at 12 right now in the. Uh, in the live rankings. That's a career high. And again, she's number two in total wins uh, since in the last 52 weeks, excuse me. So credit to her. By the way, the quarterfinal specialist, Kudamatova Kasakina, just racking up two more early quarterfinals. That, my friends, is how you keep yourself in the top 15 in each of them right now. Kasakina, eight. Kudermatova, 11 respectively. They each have so many points to defend throughout the course of the year, both already a couple of quarterfinals under their belts here to start 2023. But that's your action and my takeaways from Abu Dhabi. I do think Belinda Bencic looking like a top five player, being in that t- caliber, that tier, unequivocally tier two, that's a new wrinkle Big picture. I think that's the most relevant development from the past week, but certainly the most entertaining came via Dallas and the continued success of Woo Wee Bing, who I don't have to sell him anymore. I think that's the best part. Everyone now knows Woo Wee Bing is here to stay, and you look at what the 23-year-old has been able to accomplish over the course of his last 52 weeks, 46-9. and Over 55 matches, he's won 84% of them. He hasn't lost 10 times in the course of the last year, 46-9 and overall. He now moves to 5-2 and two in finals. I was there for one of the losses in Cleveland a couple of weeks ago to Kavasovic, but to see him go directly, from the indoor hard courts in Cleveland, the next week. Listen to this run. It's not as though it was a cupcake either. And you look for Wu Bing in his career against the top 100. Now he is 10 and 2 over the course of the past year. 12 and 10 overall in his career. But let's go back to those last 52 weeks. 10 and 2 overall. His run to the title, he gets five of those wins. Three sets over Michael Moe, day one, very physical. Given he made the Cleveland Challenger the week prior. Maybe he goes away. No. Six and four over Dennis Shapovalov. Three and four over Adrian Manorino. Six seven, seven five six four, where he fights off all nine break points that he faces in a win over Taylor Fritz. And then the six seven, seven six, seven six victory. in the third set breaker over John Isner. Obviously, you look at that matchup. Fights off match points. And again, overall, five matches total on the week he was broken. Five total times fought off the final. 12 break points that he faced in the semifinals and finals combined. That's top 50 stuff. I don't think I need to sell it anymore to all of you Cracked Rackets fans. And you know, again, you look for Wu, Wu Bing, who with this first title, he jumps all the way up uh, to a remarkable 61 in the live rankings. And again, 23 years old, 61, doesn't have a single point on his resume to defend between now and the start of April, excuse me, till now and the start of May, really, because he has a futures title to defend from April, but... Yeah, he's already defended that. So nothing significant to defend until a challenger quarterfinal he has from the start of May. He's going to get a wild card, if not main draw, direct entry into one of Miami and Indian Wells. You imagine we see him in the main draw of both, if I had to be honest. They're free points. On his resume, you know, anything he wins, he's just going to pop up into the top 50 from there. And, you know, he wins one match during the clay court season, two matches during the clay court season at a 250 event. Now he's defended all the points he has till June. He wins a match at the French Open. Now you can start to worry less about the three challenger titles he has to defend from his summer last season season. It, it, you watch the tennis and it's unmistakable why E. Bing Wu is 46-9 over his last 52 weeks. He has the fluidity. He has the athleticism. He has the structural integrity in his foundational principles and his groundstroke technique. And he has that swagger about him, that calm demeanor, that willingness to play big in the pressure moments, that willingness to be unequivocally himself when the lights shine brightest. He's delightful. He is an absolute pleasure to have the chance to cover, to watch in person. I mentioned it after his Cleveland run the forehand, his ability to create elevation with that shot over the net and that elevation leads to subsequent depth which considering the action on his ball his ball is already ripping through the court but you add the depth to it you just you're running out of options as his opponent and i said a couple weeks ago i just when i watch him play he's one shot better than his opponents john isner echoed those sentiments exactly following playing Ibing Wu in that three set thriller and again the tweeners, the backhand crosses, the backhand lines, the short angles, the ability to amp up the pace when his feet are set and he catches you off rhythm after he's lulled you with his uh, with his neutral shots. He could just do a little bit of everything. Good volleyer, comfortable, again, great in his corners, very, very quick, beats righties, beats lefties, big servers, guys where he has to generate his own pace, We've seen it all over the course of the, uh, of the past year from Wu Yi uh, ten and two against top 100 opponents now four and one against the top 50. Obviously, three of those victories coming here in Dallas, but three top three victories on hard courts and you know he makes the third round of the Australian Open last year, loses a tough five setter to Quarantine Mute round one Australia. Excuse me, third round of the U.S. Open last year, tough three setter to Quarantine Mute round one of Australia this year. But how does he follow that up? He goes and plays the Cleveland Challenger where he makes the final. And then he wins his first ATP title in Dallas. And I have no questions about his game. I really don't. I saw it in person. The better the opponent, the better the Louis Bing. Foundationally solid. He has the athleticism. I know he's not the biggest, but he has that twitchiness needed. There's still enough bite, enough action, enough in his serve as well, located enough. He also protects it well enough with his first strike that he's going to have opportunities to create free points for himself. He went serve for serve with Isner and Fritz over the course of the semifinals and finals, two guys who are unequivocally two of the top 25 servers still on the ATP tour if not top 20, if not further, uh, maybe even two of the 10 best servers on the ATP tour. And he plays them serve for serve. Now, it was an indoor hard court, but with his physicality, do you doubt that he'll have success on the clay courts? Now, you know, you look overall in his career, there's not a huge sample size of clay court matches. He's 10 and two over the course of the past 52 weeks, 22 and 12 overall in his pro career on clay. But watch him play. It's going to translate. I have no concerns about that for Wu-Wi-Bing. If he stays healthy and he had a lot of health injuries, obviously, early in his career, which is health issues, which is what makes this run that much sweeter he's also the nicest guy in the world. So captivating. You know, he jokes because Isner raised him, what, 19 times during the final? He goes, well, you know, I know Isner has to donate $100 for every time he hits an ace. And I kept that in mind. Uh, You know, he's just funny. He had fun. And shout out to Blair Henley, who brought out the best in him and got the crowd to cheer woo at him, which is obviously very, very fun. And yeah, it was it, it was exceptional. The it, it there's a reason he caught on the way that he did. in between Wu Jung Zheng Wen, Zheng Shui. obviously there's a lot of Ji uh, Junjiang, who I don't want to sell short. A lot of successful Chinese Chinese tennis players on the rise right now. Clearly, Wu Bing being one of them. He wins his first ATP title, first Chinese man to do so, uh, in ATP tour history, in Dallas. Look for Isner, three-set win over J.J. Wolf where, uh, you know, a match he goes. He gets broken once in the first set, unbroken the rest of the way. He got broken once all weekend. It was J.J. Wolf and Isner overall goes what? I want to say 4-0, 5-0, goes 6-2 overall in tie breaks. Ebing Wu gets him in the last two. He had match points happens like for Isner still ranks number one on the ATP tour in hold or number two excuse me trail, uh, trail excuse me number three trails actually now both Shelton and uh Kyrgios who's number one over the last 52 weeks but um again you look for Isner after the disappointing Australia where he loses first round Auckland first round Australian Open makes a final And you look for Isner, that keeps him right now inside the top 50. John Isner, currently sitting at number 36 in the live rankings, can go home, play Indian Wells, play uh, Miami as well, which at this point, that's what he wants to do. Play the events that are most comfortable, certainly for him. Get those big paychecks. Of course, we're all wondering, is it John's last season? Uh, I don't want to say the answer is yes, but I don't think the answer is no either either. You do, you know, last quick note here, uh, obviously for Taylor Fritz, we'll see how he bounces back. It was a really good match against Wu Ebing, and he Wu just matched his physicality. I think it said more about Wu than it did about Fritz, uh, although Fritz did get a little slap happy from the baseline. And just still, once he finishes volleys, he won't leave the top 15 in his career ever again because uh, – He's just too good with his ground strokes. With the weapons he possesses, he just he floats too many volleys. Ebing Wu, special enough athlete to make him pay in the biggest moments. But JJ Wolf, twenty-three and thirteen on hard court since the start of the City Open. So August first last year, he's now you know made another semifinal. He did that in Florence. He made that quarterfinal at the semi, uh, at the City Open as well. Round of sixteen, obviously in Australia. Third round U.S. Open last year as well. That's a profile of a top 35 guy on hard courts. That's why J.J. is up to a new career high, number 39 now. And, you know, again, there was no there was no uh, hangover from the semifinal result. He gets a really tough 1st round draw, the physical Ilya Vashka. The first serve, first forehand combination of J.J. Wolf was still too much for Vashka to handle. That's an elite weapon on the ATP tour on hard courts. There's no doubt. That serve, particularly the ad side, the slider, he hits up the tee. I say it every time. I've never seen a serve like it. Go watch him hit the forehand in person. It translates really well over the live stream, but it's that much more electric. He's been this guy since he was 15 years old. It's just all the pieces are coming together. He's moving a little bit better. The depth on the backhand continues to improve. And he's become a more willing volleyer. He's always been good at it, but he's just more comfortable doing it now. And, you know, again, with the space he creates for himself to take with his forehand to take time away with that first volley, that's how he's able to beat Ivashka. Hold on. In straight sets, beat Tiafo for six six three, six four as he did last week, winning eighty-two point five percent of his first serve points. Again, you look for JJ Wolf now. Uh he's not quite a top twenty-five server overall amongst top fifty players on the tennis abstract stats leaderboard, But you look for JJ Wolf now over the course of his last fifty-two weeks, his hold percentage currently ranks ooh. He is currently sitting at 30th. He is holding serve 80.4% of the time, tour average 82.3%. Again, though, you want to go specifically since the start of the City Open, J.J. Wolf, in terms of his hold percentage over this 23-13 and 13 stretch of time, 83.3%. So he has been a top 25 server over the course of the last six months. We see that on the hard courts as J.J. now up to a new career high of number 39, great semifinal for the American, and again has followed it up at least early so far in Delray Beach. I would say those are my biggest takeaways from Dallas. Now, you know, again, uh, you look at the other events we saw on the week. Still three more fun ones, I thought, across the board. The next place I would probably turn to is Linz. Where I know the you know the big story I suppose is Maria Sakari not ultimately coming away with the title. That said, how about Anastasia Potapova, who has just been this player really over the course of the last 52 weeks? And you know you look for Potapova now 41 and 25 over the course of those 52 weeks. You want to narrow things even more specifically. She played a ton of qualifying matches uh, to start last season, but since winning the title in Istanbul in April of last year, Anastasia Potapova. Popova really has been on uh, just a remarkable run. You look for Panopova over the course of this stretch thirty nine and twenty one, been two thirds of her matches for ten months. Consecutively, she's now reached the quarterfinals or further at seven different tour-level events in a ten-month stretch. That's a top-15 number uh, on the WTA tour, and that's why she's currently ranked number 31 on, in on uh, excuse me in the WTA rankings, a new career high for the 21-year-old who just brings a combination of physicality and explosiveness that's going to test any opponent, regardless of what they do. And you look for Potapova. Four consecutive three-set wins on her way to the final—a testament to the physicality she, uh, th- her immense physicality. Three sets over Brunzetti, Niemeyer, Friedsam, and Van 6 six-one-six-seven-six-three in the semifinals. Then she takes care of business, one and three over Petra Martic. Just Martic couldn't hurt her. At all, and Potapova is explosive. You give her time, she's going to rip through her backhand. She continues to progress with her serve first forehand combination. She's just again, I don't think she does well. She's an exceptional mover. I don't think any of her she doesn't possess an elite weapon outside of her movement yet, and yet she's very good at everything. There is no clear deficiency. Yeah, the second serve hangs. You say that about a lot of players. It was a really good week for Anastasia Potapova. Only faced one seed, but ultimately, again, beats whom she's supposed to beat. And now she's in the mix, number 31. You're getting into Indian Wells. You're getting into Miami. You're getting the shot at the big dogs. That's what she continues to look for. As you look for Anastasia Potapova now overall in her career against top 50 opponents, Potapova still 17 and 38 overall. Now she's won her last two, but you know, again, you look for her against the top 26 and 15 overall That's where the lack of an elite weapon, the lack of something to make life easy for herself becomes most apparent. But she's put herself in a position from a ranking perspective to at least get a shot at all of those top dogs. And ultimately, again, that's really all you can ask for from a top player. So credit to Potapova. Credit to Petra Martic, good wins over Clara Toss and Maria Socrates back to back to get to the final. You look for Petra Martic now in reaching this final. She has now reached, uh, excuse me, it was her first final since Lausanne last season. Uh, I believe just her sixth career. Tour her level final. And yet, Martins has been a top 50 player for about four or five years consecutively now. It's a really nice run for the veteran. Making a, a final will always help you there. I mean, you look for Maria Sakari in that semifinal match. She only made, um, you know, she made 69, excuse me, percent of her first serves. And yet again, just it felt like she became too reliant on the first strike. Sometimes she gets so caught up in plan A that plan B, plan D go astray, I thought that was the case last night uh, for uh, in the semifinal, excuse me, in what I saw for soccer, Still another semifinal for her, keeps her in that top 10 hunt. And again, with Kasakina, Kudermatova, Bencic, all these players racking up points, you just need semifinals. She gets another one of them under her belt here in Linz. That said, last two to talk about, I mean, the sin, man. You guys know I'm all in. Yannick Sinner earning the title in Montpellier. Sinner ultimately a, th- a straight set win over Maxime Cressy. He doesn't drop a set on his way to the title. Wins over Senego, Arthur Fee, and Maxime Cressy. Cressy came out really aggressive. Uh, it's a big love 30 deficit in Sinner's, I think, two all-service game. Just connected on a couple of returns consecutively. But look, anytime the point extended past four shots, Yannick Sinner was in control. And he continues to move better. He continues to be a more comfortable volleyer. I mean, the weapons he possesses, just the continued pace, the continued depth, the continued angle he generates with every ground stroke. His floor is so high already, match in, match out when he's healthy. And again, you look at his start to the season in a nutshell, or in a, in a, in a bubble, five set loss to Tsitsipas, where I thought for three of the sets, he played top 30, uh, top 30, excuse me, top five level tennis. Um... He just hasn't gotten that signature win at the biggest of big events. I know he made the Miami final, but, you know, again, and he's made bunch of second weeks at slams, but go beat a Pass. go beat, you know, in Alcaraz, in a 1,000 or slam level event. Go get one of those signature victories. That's the only thing missing in the public perspective. We here at Crack Rackets are all in on Yannick Sinner. He's one of eight guys ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage over the course of the past year on the ATP Tour. Seventh title for the Sin Man. First of the season. Gets him back into that top 15 hunt. Although the fact that he's number 14 is criminal right now because I just think he's so unequivocally a top 10 player and had the Wimbledon points counted, certainly the rankings would reflect that fact. But look, credit to Max Cressy. He needed to reach a final. He hadn't gotten consecutive wins on the board since all the way back at Winston-Salem in August. And, you know, again, now he's reached three finals on his resume over the course of the past 52 weeks. That's going to keep you inside the top of 50, folks. He wins a match at the Australian Open. And, you know, again, gets a good win over Tim Van Reidhoven week one this week as well. He's the number... Th- uh, number four server on the ATP tour is holding 88.7 percent of the time over the past year. The servant volleying continues to be relentless. Indoor Hardcourt's obviously going to bring out his best. And hey, wins over Rusevori, Chorich, and Holger Rune, where he he isn't you know he was broken once throughout the course of the tournament. Second set against Sinner, that was the only time Max Cressy was broken. You do that, you're going to have some success. And again, credit to Max Cressy. Uh, you know what you're getting in the serving and volleying I think his forehand has gotten better his forehand return he got a little chip happy in the second set against sinner as he started falling further behind but he, I thought he was swinging through it a little bit better and if that develops look out because you know Max Cressy is going to be holding serve but obviously tough loss for Runa I mean Runa was broken once in the match that was it and came down to a couple of breakers Cressy just found the biggest serves. He connected on the returns in the biggest moment. I guess Runa hung a second serve in a breaker in the third, but like, okay, that's going to happen from time to time. Obviously for the wild card, Arthur Fee, the 18-year-old from France, it's his first tour-level semifinal of his career. Fantastic in wins over Gasquet, RBA, and Halise to get to the semifinals. He's got real weapons. He's got real physicality. I'm intrigued. I want to watch a little bit more. Only two challenger finals in his career. One challenger title. Uh, each of those coming the first two weeks of the season. I mean, clearly he's a breakout star to start this year. I still need to see a little bit more, particularly things. Um. Uh. Particularly things. Excuse me. Outside of indoor hard courts and you know on the clay courts as well, but yes, we're all intrigued by the young Frenchman. And boy, is Frenchmen's tennis starving for some young talent to get behind. But those are my thoughts on Montpellier. Uh, moving on now to Cordoba, boy. Did Sebi Baez get exactly what the doctor ordered? You look for Sebastian Baez, who over the course of his last 52 weeks now, 29 and 29 overall. uh, Sebi Baez, during the points from last year to this year, he had lost 11 consecutive matches last year. He had lost uh, 16 of 17 matches between last season and this season. 11 in a row, 16 of 17, majority of those matches coming on hard courts, again, needed these four wins. His first consecutive victories at an event since he reached the semifinals, in, uh, excuse me, the finals in Bostad back in July. You know, again, it was... The Sebi forehand rips through a clay court. He moves so fluidly around the clay courts. The backhand, though, it sits short. He does enough with it. He hits it really well on the run. He incorporates the drop shot so well at this surface. He's a really good volleyer on this surface as well. And, yes, his serve sits short, but everyone's serve sits a little bit shorter on these thick South American red clay courts. The match became incredibly physical, and that's where Sebi Baez thrived when you're playing groundstroke game, you know, court crafting, working angles, exploding through forehands when the space creates itself sort of tennis. No one had a weapon. Coria, Delian, Barrios Vera, Derderi, none of them could hurt Sebi Baez, and it's not the toughest draw. But again, for Sebi Baez, I know he lost first round to Bueno uh, this week, but, you know, these red court clay courts are so physical, there's always a hangover the week after. It was exactly what the doctor ordered. Snaps the losing streak, gets him confident. Yes, the sunshine swing, which he'll be eligible to play, may be another struggle. But red, uh, obviously, clay court season coming up. Do not write off Sebi Baez, who, if you look over the course of his last 52 weeks, yes, 29 and 29 overall, 26 and 10 now on clay courts. Different surface, different player. Don't want to say surface specialist yet because he's still just 22 freaking years old, but obviously the strength right now is the clay course for Sebi Baez, and he manages to reset things over the course of the past week. Good run for Federico Correa. Gets him up to a new career high, number 49 in the live rankings. You look for Correa. He has now made, let's see, in his career, 33 different finals, all of them. Have come on clay courts. This is his first, uh, second final, excuse me, at the tour level. His first coming in Bostad back in 2021. But yeah, 33 finals, all of them on clay courts. For the 30 year old, dare I say, that is a clay court specialist. In fact, you look overall in his career uh, for uh, Federico Correa, he's only played, that's crazy, 30 years old, he's only played 51 tour level matches in his career at uh, uh, on hard courts excuse me 12 of those matches either slam for uh main draw matches or slam qualifying that's nuts that is crazy uh how many matches has he played in his career let's see overall sebi baez uh, excuse me federico correa in his career has played 853 matches just 51 of them have come on clay 802 on hard courts I think we're allowed to call him a clay court specialist without him getting mad, right? I mean, come on. When – what is that? Just short of 90% of your matches come on a surface? Like, yeah. Not a clay – yeah. You know what? I'll say it. Clay court specialist. Federico Correa, I think that's a fair label to get an obviously, second career tour-level final, huge for him in Cordoba. He beats Albert Ramos Vinolas in the semis, strong start, obviously, for the veteran Spaniard. Uh, But those are really your takeaways. Again, an interesting week behind, another interesting week ahead as well. To hear more about that, check out our second mini-break podcast of the day here on Wednesday as I am joined by the great David Kane to break down all of the action. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a of an any job to do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, a reminder coming up this weekend on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we'll have coverage of the Division I Men's ITA National Indoor Championships. First ball to last, available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel starting Friday, 9 a.m. Central Time. Myself, Mike Cation, going to steer the ship all weekend along with all of that said for the fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow thanks everyone